Hello and welcome to today's podcast. Today we're pleased to be joined by George Tsugarakis. He's a partner at Hughes, Hubbard & Reed. He's a litigator, but today George is going to talk to us about uh, a very unique client and a, and a very unique case. Uh, George, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me, John. This case deals with a Bible that's more than 1,200 years old that you were able to get returned after it was stolen for more than a century. Yes, it is a fascinating story and uh, one that uh, my colleagues and I are very privileged to, uh, to have a part in. This came to us from uh, my contacts at the Greek Orthodox Church uh, about two years ago where they asked us to help recover certain volumes that had been stolen during World War I by a group of Bulgarian forces who came over the border from Bulgaria and ransacked the monastery's library, which at that time had over 1,300 volumes. So this is a monastery in northern Greece? Yes. It's been there since 450 AD, so making it one of the oldest active, continually active monasteries in all of Europe. So uh, these precious items were stolen in 1917. Tell us about that. At that time, as you know, all of Europe was in turmoil, and, uh, and given the proximity of uh, the monastery to the Bulgarian border, it was a place where there was a lot of um, a lot of attacks. At that time, there was a, um, a gentleman by the name of Vladimir Sis, who was a, uh, a mercenary soldier who led a group of Bulgarian forces as part of as part of many raids on Bulgaria and the rest of the Ottoman Empire uh, onto Greek lands. The monastery was a ripe target because of it, the richness of its library, over 16 centuries of accumulating. The best of Orthodox wisdom had resulted in over 1,300 volumes being located in the in the library. So it was really one of the best known collections in the Orthodox world. And what was the name of the monastery? Well, my Greek is no better than yours, but Ikofinisa, which has multiple translations depending on what version of the story you believe in. But the one I like is the one where the early Orthodox bishop was called to uh, found a monastery in that location in the mountains uh, of northeastern Greece for the Panagia, the Virgin Mary, um, and his vision was 20 palm trees, and Ikofinisa translates roughly into the 20 palms. Let's start with the one volume that you were able to uh, recover. There were many volumes stolen, I take it, but let's talk about this uh, copy of the Bible. What was it, and what happened to it? Well, the entire contents of the, of the library were, were stolen. But this one particular volume we're talking about was a, a copy of the New Testament, which was uh, handwritten uh, sometime in the ninth century by a monk named Sabas. And uh, it is, uh, today, there are only about 50 copies of uh, complete versions of the New Testament. This was one of them. It had remained in, the, it was written in the monastery and remained there since from the ninth century until it was stolen in 1917. I understand it was written in the, in the Byzantine script. Is that part of what makes it unique? Well, yes and no. That's what they wrote in, in those times, but um, it's unique because it, it was one of the early copies written in, in Greek in the Byzantine script of the New Testament. And so trace the course of this, of this book over the last century for us, if you can. After the contents of the library were stolen, for about two years, uh, Mr. Sis uh, dispersed many of the most valuable of the manuscripts to various book dealers throughout Europe. This particular New Testament uh, was located in so Sofia, Bulgaria, a, a book dealer 
who sold it eventually to a, man, a gentleman by the name of Hans Gruber. Uh, Dr. Gruber was a founder of uh, a Lutheran seminary, which later became the Lutheran school, uh, where, where, where the manuscript was eventually donated and it became a part of its collection. The Lutheran school in Chicago. Right, the Lutheran school of theology in Hyde Park. And so this was there from uh, the mid-20th century on. He brought it over in the 1920s, uh, and I don't remember the exact date of the donation. It was donated by his widow to the Lutheran School of Theology, but it remained there for a very long time. And um, how did you find out about it? Well, we, had been, we were approached by the monastery in Drama, who'd been working with a private historian, uh, Dr. George Papazoglou, who has studied both the monastery in general, but specifically the, the, the contents of the library and where, where the volumes went. And it was Dr. Papazoglou who um, discovered where those volumes were and where the, particularly where this New Testament was in Chicago. And so uh, what was your next step? Our first step when hearing about something like this is to first consider whether what the legal issues are, obviously. In this case, the legal issues are pretty simple. I mean, it's, it's in Anglo-American law, a thief cannot pass good title on to anybody, including good faith purchasers. Uh, and I should say the Lutheran School of Theology and Dr. Gruber, there's no evidence that they were anything other than good faith purchasers. In other words, they didn't steal the manuscript from anywhere, and there's no evidence that they were aware of a theft. But under the law, that doesn't matter. The thief, a thief cannot pass good title, and it makes a lot of sense when you think about it. Otherwise, nobody would ever get their stolen goods back. I should say that, you know, in, in this part of the 21st century, it is now the trend for cultural institutions, art museums, universities to, to actually make a big effort, a concerted effort to return items that, don't, that were actually stolen from other cultures, other faiths, and other countries. Uh, and most prominent, I think, is the, the return of Nazi looted artwork where um, you know, Jewish art dealers and private collectors in the, on the eve of World War II had their entire collection stolen by the Nazi regime. And those items are slowly, but actually very surely, being returned to the heirs of the original owners. And it's, and it's that basis that provides the legal basis for our request here. So you wrote a letter? That's all it took, was we wrote one letter uh, to the Lutheran School, to Dr. James Neiman, who is the president of that school. Uh, we actually had to write two letters because the first one didn't actually look like it was lost in the mail. But um, once they got our letter, there was never a doubt on the part of Dr. Neiman or the Lutheran School that we had an initial very productive phone conversation where Dr. Neiman said, we want to do the right thing here. And the right thing is to return this manuscript to its home, to where, it's, where it belongs. He had to obviously convene a board of directors meeting, uh, but along the way, which was very done very quickly, along the way, they made it clear that all they wanted to do was to return this item to where it belonged. Mm -hmm. Do you wish all your cases were like that? Well, it might put me out of business. All <laughs> I do is write a letter, but uh, but yeah, it was it was uh, particularly here, where as I said, we have a strong legal basis, but we also have a very strong moral basis. Uh, these items were were stolen in 1917, and they were stolen from people who actually venerated these items and worshipped over these items and used them as an instru instrumental part of their faith. So morally speaking, there's a very strong basis to request the return. I understand there was a ceremony where it was handed off. Can you tell us about that? Well, there were two ceremonies. One in Chicago, where 
all the administrators and professors lined up in order of seniority from youngest to most senior. And they all wore gloves, white gloves, and passed the, the manuscript. And I should say the manuscript is about 330 pages. It's written on sheepskin, so it's a very heavy, big volume. And they pass it from one person to the other. And in, in, their, in each person's individual way, they said goodbye to this manuscript, which had formed a very important role in the education of so many uh, Lutheran uh, priests and reverends. And each person said goodbye to the manuscript and, and passed it along the line until it got to the most senior person, who then turned to Archbishop Demetrius, who's the head of the Orthodox Church here in, uh, in America, and gave it to him for to begin the journey back to Greece. I should say I, I was struck by the emotion uh, that I saw in that room, and people were crying to say goodbye to this, this Bible, which not only was important for them because it, you know, they, they used it and, and read it much like it was intended to be by, by Bishop Sabas, the monk Sabas who wrote it, but also because it was by and far and away the most expensive, the most prominent, the most important piece in their collection. And just on the basis of one letter and, one, and a desire to do the right thing, they, they returned it. And that's, that, that was emotional for me, for all of us who, who witnessed that. I understand that they uh, were very diligent in, in preserving it and in and even in photographing it. So they now at least have the digital photos. Right, and that's uh, and and that's actually how they're using. They're they're continuing their ability to uh, study it. Uh, they they made a digitalized digitized version of it before they returned it to us. And uh, and I understand that the students there are still using that that treatise. And what was the second ceremony you mentioned? Well, the second ceremony was actually in Greece. And, um, you know, the monastery, as I said, is still an active monastery. Uh, interestingly, whereas for the first 15 and a half centuries of its existence, uh, it was populated by males, monks. Uh, it is now populated by nuns, about 25 nuns. And so the ceremony involved Dr. Neiman in the, uh, in the cathedral adjacent to the to the monastery dr. Neiman came with the manuscript and handed it to the the hierarch for the region metropolitan Pablos who is one of our clients he in turn turned to the head nun the abbot and gave it to her and she then passed it on to the more junior people in other words it was the reverse of the ceremony that we saw in Chicago and it was no less beautiful and no less moving because just as there were tears uh, of sadness and, re and reflection in Chicago, we saw tears of hope and joy about the return of their, of their missing Bible. And it was beautiful. We're speaking with George Sugarakis. He's a partner at Hughes, Hubbard and Reed, and he's telling us the story of how he and his legal team got a ninth century Bible that was uh, stolen from a monastery in Greece, returned where is it now? What are they doing there to uh, preserve it? In anticipation of the return of uh, these volumes, the monasteries created a separate state-of-the-art room, which is climate-controlled, and where this Bible now resides, as long, along with other manuscripts that uh, they have managed to uh, get returned to them. As a lawyer, how much satisfaction do you, you get out of an outcome like this one? It's rare, um, first of all, it's rare to have cases that are so clearly right. There's a clear right side 
And so that's sat very personally satisfying. But to see that right result happen is extremely rewarding and, uh, and actually one of the more meaningful uh, cases of my career. But the case isn't over yet, is it? Unfortunately, no. We're, uh, we're still at it. There are other volumes, well, there are volumes all over the, the world. We've located, uh, we're, a, we're a U.S. law firm, so we're only concerned about those that are in the United States. And Dr. Papazoglu, our historian, uh, has located eight other volumes, which are located in three other institutions. And we're in active communications with those institutions. They include the Morgan Library and Museum here in New York, uh, Princeton University in New Jersey, and Duke University in, in North Carolina. They, as I said, they have eight volumes, including uh, Duke has another volume, which is also a complete handwritten version of the New Testament. Uh, not as old as the one the Lutheran school had, but equally important and significant to Orthodox faith. So these volumes, as I said, there are eight of them. They're, they're there uh, at those three institutions, Princeton, Duke, and Morgan. And, uh, and we really hope that those three will follow in the footsteps of the Lutheran school and return those items to the, to the Greek Orthodox Church. In your view, is the legal case as clear of, of title not passing? It's, it's very clear. I mean, they, these were all, it is undisputed that these volumes were stolen all at the same time, all by the same people, all from the same monastery. There, there is no question about them being stolen. And the legal basis is really the same. A thief cannot pass legal title on to a purchaser. And so these three institutions uh, are in possession of stolen goods. It is clear from a legal perspective that uh, legal title does not belong to them. If you look at it, it's not surprising that the Lutheran school, which is training priests and, uh, and other theologians uh, would act so quickly to do what they think is the right thing. Other institutions have different procedures and um, that might take a little longer, but we're, we're sticking to it and we hope that they will do the right thing. And how confident are you that you're going to have a good outcome? Uh, I'm by nature a very confident person and so I'm 100% confident that we're going to we'll have some success and you know uh, ask your listeners out there if they know anybody at the Morgan or Princeton University or Duke to reach out to them and see what they're doing uh, and encourage them to bring those books back and to do the right thing. All right, uh, George Sugarakis, thank you so much for uh, joining us today and enlightening us on this uh, very interesting story. Thank you, John. This has been a production of Wall Street North Communications. Go to wallstreetnorth.com. I'm John Metaxas.